Live from Studio B's, this is Proudly Made in Canada by Local Laundry. I am your co-host and co-owner of Local Laundry, Mr. Connor Curran, and we also have Dustin. Happy to be here today, Connor. Thanks for inviting me again. <laughs> well, as a co-host and co-owner of Proudly Made in Canada, you have a standing invitation. So anytime, but more importantly, we have someone that I'm even more excited to have on the show. So with us today... Sorry, Dustin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the founder and CEO of Helsum, better pricing, better service, better tools on, and ultimately better payments for small business. We have Mr. Nick. Nick, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. So yeah, no, uh, co-founder of Helsum, we're a local Calgary-based payments company. So we compete with the likes of Square and Moneris and everybody in between. Those are some pretty big people to compete with. What made you want to get into this space? Yeah, I mean, so the backstory is one of my first jobs in Calgary, this is in high school, is I worked for a little computer store called Memory Express. And I actually walked in, they had a terrible website, they had no e-commerce. And I was like, I can program you an e-commerce. So they hired me at eight bucks an hour. And I programmed their first kind of e-commerce and you know, e-commerce checkout shopping cart system, right? And I was like, hey, wait, there could be a business in doing that. And that was kind of like the seed that turned into a series of different kind of web design and e-commerce businesses that led eventually to like what we were really trying to solve. What we figured out over time was the payments part of it, like accepting payments online. There was, there was PayPal, there wasn't Maris, there wasn't much. And that led to really just helping small business owners accept better payments. Cause yeah, we're competing with some really, really big names like Moneris and first data and everybody else. But if you ask any merchant, how they feel about those companies, they're going to give you an earful you know, from the, the contracts, the hidden fees, the level of customer service. And we decided to just be the good guys in a not so great industry and build a company that was all about transparency and not playing those games and really respecting the small business owners. And yep, 7,000 clients later and, and 80 staff, something is working, which is good. So Amazing. That's incredible. Well, I think you kind of touched upon it because one of the things that does make you different, I was reading was, hey, you guys don't have any contracts, right? Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. There's no contracts, penalties, cancellation, any of that headache. And no no hidden fees. And then plus you have lower rates as well. Seems so easy, but I mean, with everyone else kind of <laughs> these long drawn out contracts that kind of lock you in for years on end, I think that's an easy sell for, you know, small business owners, you know, kind of like ourselves. But I mean, how do you get started with something like this? How do you dive into this space? Yeah. You, you have this idea of, you know, no contracts, better pricing, no hidden fees, but how do you start from zero to one? Well, I mean, when I started a business, I was 23 and no bank wanted to do business with us. Like the, the reality is if you want to, you know, play in the world of Visa, MasterCard, Interact and things like that, you got to get a bank to back you and give you the, the keys, right? And we talked to, for almost two years, we talked to different banks all over the country and, and you know, probably justifiably so, nobody wanted to give the, the, the young punks a, <laughs> a shot. But finally, we found a, a banking partnership that made it happen. And we started small and we couldn't control everything about our service or experience. But the things that we could control, we really tried our best to make them as best as possible. You know, customer service, we could control day one and pricing, we can control day one. So we really said, okay, we're, we're you know, we're going to make it the best that we can. And then we slowly built a reputation of being different and being trustworthy. And as we grew, then you know, those banking partnerships allowed us to take more and more of the control and then therefore give a better, better service. And it's kind of like a flywheel effect if you believe in it. 
Yeah. And I know, you know, entrepreneurs are no stranger to failure, but what were some of those initial conversations with the banks like? Oh, I mean, even going into the calls, we didn't even know the terminology. I think we could have saved ourselves like 12 months of time, like knowing the right keyword to ask, right? Because like we want to be, you know, the terms are like, you know, like we were using all the wrong terms that apparently like fraudsters and high risk businesses use, right? Like aggregation and we want all the money to flow through us and you know different things. And then it was just, so if we had known like, oh, there's actually some technical terms that we could have used to help us. So, but the first banking partner, ironically, or it was actually a bank out of the States that had heard about us that was doing some business in Canada that said, hey, we have a wholesale white label program that you might take advantage of. And it's funny because we always wanted a Canadian bank. Like we're very much a Calgary company, but I mean, it kind of shows the market that like none of them, not a single one would open those doors for us. And it took an American one for better, for worse to kind of open that door. And now since then, we've been able to make different partnerships, you know, a bit everywhere, but it kind of shows some of that monopolistic approach to some of our financial services in Canada, unfortunately, right? Which makes it really hard for a new entrant to come into the space. Do you see that changing now? Because I know there's a lot of disruption happening in, in the fintech space. Yeah, you do. Even like local banks like ATB, which are, you know, they're a great bank. They, you're starting to see them make partnerships with different fintechs and different companies and things like that. So that's a new phenomenon, I think, for the past five years, like, that whole kind of fintech mindset and banks realizing that like they have to partner or they're going to be left in the dust and things like that. But, you know, we started this business back in 2008 and that was not the mindset at the time. Right. But it's good to know that for new entrepreneurs, you know, getting into the fintech space, there's way more willingness to have those conversations. Yeah. So you've been absolutely. at this 14 years. I mean, just to give you a scale of things though. So like, I don't know if the first, Six years ago, there was just two staff and, uh, you know, just a few hundred clients. So we were really just like a small business. I don't know if we could ourselves, as, you know, quite a startup. And we've really kind of found ourselves and accelerated in the past six years, right? So those, those prior years were really just like, you know, kids in the dark trying to figure out like, you know, who we were and how this industry worked. And like, it was a really long haul. So it's almost like, I mean, the business was there, but it was almost experimental, like trying to just figure it out before we really kind of honed in on, on what we could be. And so what spurred that sudden growth and acceleration? Part of it was really realizing who we were and kind of embracing that, right? Because I think at first, when we actually started, we were, it was more about, you know, are we software? Are we payments? You know, like, why are people coming to us and things like that? And it took a long time to really kind of realize, both to build the relationships with the banks for us to be able to have that kind of service, but also for us to realize who we are. And ultimately, who we are is, you know, it might seem a little bit vanilla, but like our slogan now is better payments. And that's really what we had to hone in on, which is like people have this problem and they need to accept payments online. They need to accept payments in person. They're tired of their, you know, incumbent providers. Rates do matter. That's the problem, I think, with some of the entrants from Silicon Valley, right? Like, yeah, they have a slick service, but it's like, you know, 2.9%. And the reality is that like people outgrow that pretty quick. Like at first, when you first start your business and you're doing, you know, 500 bucks on a weekend, that that's okay. But all of a sudden, as you move towards, you know, 
thousands of dollars and you're starting to hire your first employees and things like that, all of a sudden you go, wait a second, how much am I paying? And the Silicon Valley providers haven't really, you know, there's a little bit of that, like, well, our service is the best, so you don't pay for it. And it's kind of like, well, no, like there needs to be a service that that's just as good in terms of that software and that ease of use, but also that takes, that takes it seriously. And, and when you're dealing with payments, you know, rates matter. So, but it took a long time for us to get to those conclusions. And so tell us a little bit about kind of the, the scaling part. So once you did kind of hone into that, what, what did growth look like? You're at over 80 employees now. I mean, how, how did you guys handle that? What did that look like? There's a couple of things. I mean, you're constantly, every time you double your company and that keeps happening, like even, I mean, we're not, you know, we're certainly aiming to be thousand plus staff one day, but like even that you're going from two to four and four to eight and eight to 16 and so on, like you essentially have a new company on your hand. Yeah. Like everything you thought you had figured out your org structure, you had figured out your hiring, you had figured and it's like, nope, flush it all down because you have to rebuild it from scratch, right? So there's definitely like a, a level of like getting comfortable with the fact that like plan for the next six to 12 months in terms of any kind of like structure because it's going to get flushed anyways. I think I kind of rediscovered my love of reading, which I think most you know, school kind of kills that for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, you, you, you go to university or you go to school and then like you, you might have grown up reading books and then you, a lot of people kind of lose their love of reading because of school just kind of knocks it out of you. And I kind of got back into it and kind of discovered like, oh, you know what, biographies and business books and fiction and all that stuff. And then like it really kind of, you can learn kind of vicariously, even if you're, sometimes you can't always find a mentor, but I feel like you can kind of find mentorship through books sometimes. And that definitely at least helped me feel that I wasn't alone in this process. And it's like, oh, other people have gone through this crazy ride. And then the last thing that I've really learned is that an organization is always, the complexity is always growing in terms of like all the needs of this business and managing people and, and encouraging people and getting engagement for your customers and everything. And like the complexity is always going up, right? And what I've realized is that I need to keep going like this and everybody needs to keep going like this. So like I might be good enough to be CEO right now, but I can say this with certainty. I am not good enough to be the CEO of this company 12 months from now, not the way I am right now. And like being okay with that and going like, I need to get there kind of opens up that like never stop learning because you know, this thing is going and I'm either going to grow with it or I'm going to fall off. So what do you do? How do you get better as a CEO? I'd, I'd love to know. <laughs> you know, I read a lot. That helps a lot. If you build a great team, then they'll kind of, they'll really teach you a whole lot and, and help you get there, right? If you, and especially if you build a culture of feedback. So then, you know, they'll tell you, like recently we did an exercise. So I built an exec, executive team that I'm super proud of. And there's four of us that are the chiefs. And we recently did something where we did our, we got 360 feedback from the entire team. So said like, how are we doing the good, the bad, the ugly? And everybody was really candid for all of it, which is great. This is what we wanted, right? And it was anonymous so that one of us was assigned to each other to collect that feedback and kind of anonymize it and then like give a performance review. So we got that in and then we did a round table for like four hours where, you know, the four of us were kind of going through the good, the bad, the ugly together and making a big round discussion in terms of like, okay, here's where you're excelling. Here's where you're dropping the ball. Here's how you need to get better. And we can, you know, that was all kind of summarized 
you know, into the most important things to focus on. And then we took all that and then we shared it with the team and essentially said, okay, team, thank you so much for everything. Here's the performance reviews for the entire exec teams. Here's the things we're going to work on. And we're trying to encourage that across our whole organization so that it's like, it's just like complete transparency, including the performance review part of like, here's where I think I'm doing well. Here's where I really need to improve. And our goal over time is to take the anonymous part out of it mm. so that it just becomes a culture of people aren't afraid. Like I think anonymous is important at first to get people comfortable mm. to just give raw feedback because ultimately that's what's the most important. But then over time, when you take the anonymous out of it, then you're, you're building on that trust and you're really allowing people to kind of give faster, quicker feedback to each other and not be afraid of it. And that's our goal over time is that we can have that same level of candor without the anonymous. That'd be amazing. Wow. I'd love to know what your top one or two books that you would recommend, you know, cause we, uh, we got a great little business book club going on. I'm a big, big reader myself. I'd love to know what you recommend. There's two that kind of pulled some good strings for me. So there's one called the messy middle. It's by Scott Belsky. I think uh, it's a big yellow book. What's fun about it is that there's like the chapters, they're all like little nuggets of, you know, how to build a team and internal marketing and creativity and conflict and all that stuff. But they're like three, four pages per chapter and you can read them in any order you want hmm. kind of thing, right? That one I really, really like. Even what's interesting about that one, it has a really good product section. So it talks about like user experience and like how to build a really great product, which is rare in a book. And then there's another one called What You Do Is Who You Are. I think it's called What You Do Is Who You Are. That's by Ben Horowitz, which is from Andreessen Horowitz. So his kind of first book, his big famous book is The Hard Things About Hard Things, which is excellent. Like, mm. But the second one is essentially the premise of that one is like you can have your core values and it's important to establish your core values and you put them on the wall and whatever, right? But what you do matters more. So, you know, you can say like we, we value integrity and friendship and hugs and whatever is your core values, right? But then, you know, there's stuff like, okay, well, when we go on a business trip, imagine a post-COVID world, right? We go on a business trip. Are we the company that stays at the Holiday Inn? Or are we the company that stays at the Four Seasons, right? Or, you know, are we the company that stays at five o'clock? Are we the company that works till eight o'clock? And like some of that, just the actions that you do say a whole lot more about like what you do and what matters to you than necessarily like a set of core values, right? So what we learned from that book, and it really triggered us to kind of start work to work on our own culture book is really like make it about like really tangible day-to-day things. It's like a guide to doing well here, right? Like it's important to communicate your core values, but really get into the details in terms of like how we go about conflict, how we go about decision-making, like just the nuggets of everyday decisions, because that probably will teach people better about, you know, what kind of culture you have. So those would be my, my go-tos if you're looking for more for your, for your book club. Wow. I've never heard of those, either of those. So I'm psyched. I wrote both of those down. Thank you so much. One of the things you said when in part of learning, I mean, books is a big part, but can you talk a little bit about mentorship, what you've found along the way, how that's helped if you've taken advantage of any kind of relationship? Yeah. So I think that's something that I've only discovered in the past, maybe like two years. So we really built, for better or for worse, we built this business in a cave. Like it was just like, in terms of like local interactions and going to meetups and like meeting other entrepreneurs and stuff like that. I didn't have that circle of people, even the mentors or let alone peers 
and other co-founders and other entrepreneurs and other people in the industry, whether that's tech or business in general and things like that. I didn't have that support group, right? So I think I turned to books because that's, you know, what I could find, right? But once I kind of got myself out there, I was like, oh, this is pretty great. There's all these people and I can have these conversations. So in terms of like, I've never had a, an official kind of mentor kind of relationship, right? But I, I have been fortunate to build in the past couple of years, just people that I can just reach out to be like, Hey, have you dealt with this? How do you, you know, I don't know how to handle this or I'm just having a day like this or, you yeah. know, thing. And just having a circle of that I think is super key. And what we're trying to do now, we're working on this new approach for our team. So we have this super young team, right? So the median age at Halsam is 27 years old. Wow. So like, I'm the grandfather. <laughs> so, you know, I'm the one with the grays and they're all young. And we're really kind of pushing hard for this kind of like bottom up. Like, so we hire juniors. We really, really like hiring young people that are ambitious and then like finding a way to give them a huge amount of responsibility, like too much responsibility and, and, but letting them thrive with that. Right. And then trying to fill up, if you have this triangle of the organization and it's growing, trying to fill it from the bottom. Right. So huh. like, hire more people than like push it as opposed to being like, let's hire the experts and bring them in. Right. But then what we're trying to fix now is going like, well, we need to keep building these kind of like peer support groups yeah. inside the organization so they can learn the way, you know, I've learned over time. So what we're, we're coming up with ideas of like, how can we put juniors and new managers and things like that together and going like, how can they just create even like just little peers that they might not be in the same department or anything like that, but they can, talk to each other and meet once a month and, and work through learnings and issues, you know, support groups essentially for like learning how to be great leaders and great professionals. That's amazing. It's a work in progress. That's but it's amazing. an interesting approach, right? Because you get a lot of the companies that are, that are scaling and probably traditionally too in tech where they bring on big venture capital money, then they start to hire all the, the C-suites and then it, it all trickles down, right? Which having that bottom up yep. approach... Do you find that you're different from a lot of your competitors in terms of culture wise or, or in terms of organizational structure? Yeah, like in terms of org structure, definitely. And I think it came from because we're a bootstrap company. So we don't have any outside investors or venture capital or anything like that. So it came from a place where like we couldn't hire those crazy senior software programmers that everybody's fighting for. And even Google is poaching from Calgary and things like that. Like that was not within the realm of even a, a possibility for us. So we're just like, well, let's hire fresh grads and teach them how to code. Like, like, you know, and, and it's funny because like that, it came out of necessity, but now I'm looking at all this, this growth in tech in Calgary, which is wonderful, but there's this huge fight for senior talent. Yeah. Right. And the problem with that is that when the jobs are going to the highest bidders and things like that, like that's not a place that's going to really create these great cultures. It just becomes like very kind of transient almost like, yeah, you know, price low. Right. So what we thought was a weakness as first, I think is actually turning into a strength because Building, it's hard to build an organization that really is all about like, because when you bring in somebody that's fresh out of school, like they're not super useful for the first month or two. <laughs> like it's really a one way street where you're just like, you're using your existing people to train them and they're, they're putting all their energy and their time into these people, but they're hoping that it's going to, they're going to be able to turn around and then do the same as we hire the next. And if you can build your organization to work that way, then you can turn a weakness into almost a superpower because Calgary is this amazing city with great schools and it's, you know, those schools are cranking out great junior talent every day. And those kids don't have a really a place. There's not that many companies in town hiring. It's not like, you know, like Pika oil where like, 
you know, those big oil companies were hiring all the engineers they could right out of school kind of thing, right? There isn't that kind of vacuum in Calgary for tech. Like there, most of the hiring is at the, the senior level. So for us to be in this unique position to be like, no, we'll be that tech company that does that and then turn it into as part of our culture. It's definitely harder up front, but we think it's going to keep paying off. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. Now, tell me a little bit about kind of the scale at which you guys are at. Because you mentioned building in a cave. And I, I remember, I believe it was a startup Calgary event or something where I first heard you pitch or first heard about the company. And the metrics or the numbers at which you were describing was pretty shocking considering I considered myself pretty connected within the startup community. So I was like, how haven't I heard of these guys before? So tell me, how much have you facilitated through the platform so far? Yeah. So, I mean, we process about three and a half billion a year in payments and like our last year top line revenue was 55 million. I mean, that the top line is always big for payments because you're taking all the fees Visa MasterCard. But, you know, I think taking a step back, I think where that building in a cave, that shyness, that unwillingness that I had to kind of go meet the local scene came from, you know, especially in tech, you know, when you're growing up, Say you have magazines and there's you know beautiful celebrities and things like that, and they say that that's not that can create something that's not necessarily healthy for young people developing because it sets an unrealistic you know level of what beauty is and what success is and things like that. And I actually think that like the startup ecosystem is actually quite unhealthy for that because yeah. look at a lot of like the the websites and the blogs and things like that, and it's all about like I got this kind of funding. Look at my office. Look how. Yeah. And, you know, and it's almost like unrealistic and it's unhealthy. Yeah. And I think that I, you know, I would look at that and I'd be like, well, our company's not obviously not big enough. Like I don't, I didn't want to meet people because I was ashamed. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my business is too small and we're not successful enough and things like that. And I waited so long to the point where I, when I did finally like get off my butt and go to those events, they're just like, wait, how much <laughs> revenue do you do? And they were like, and, but the things that like, I missed out on so much support and entrepreneurship is a lonely dark place sometimes and i'm like i could have if i hadn't been so shy about like yeah and you know what at the time we had you know when we only had a few hundred clients or only had one employee stuff like who cares i should have still been like meeting people and and meeting peers and it would have been so much easier to do that so my recommendation then we out there is just like who cares about all the blogs and all that that success you see those are just headlines and for all those successes, there's a million people that are trying to make it work and go find yourself a support group, but be proud of what you've built so far. Man, that is great advice because I feel like that all the time, whether it's this company raised a bunch of money or this person, you know, just signed this deal and check out this person's office, you know, Dustin and I are working out of our basements, you know, and, and we'll be probably for the foreseeable future. And it's, it's so reassuring to hear that because, yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people don't even get into business because they're like, well, how can, I'm not smart enough. Like, how can I, I can't get to that by, you know, next month. So why even try, you know? And I think that feeling stays. I mean, the things that we can look at, like some of those companies in Silicon Valley and like, look, they have $80 billion market caps and 50,000 employees and stuff. And you're just like, oh, what have we done? And it's like, so, so it doesn't go away. Right. But it's kind of like, you just have to kind of like learn to kind of tune it out and just be like, no, let's be enthused about what we've built so far and be proud regardless. Yeah, yeah. We've sold a couple of shirts. We're pretty proud of them. Good. <laughs> you guys are doing a fantastic job with getting the word out there. Like I keep I keep seeing it pop up everywhere and the messaging is tight and the story is really, you know, engaging. So good job. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, that's very that. kind of you to say. 
Well, I've got my sweater. I was wearing it right before the recording, and then it's getting a little. The, the sweater, like, there's a boast of the quality of it. It's so warm that I started sweating. So I was like, I'm gonna have to take it off. No, <laughs> but I'll no. just be dripping during the recording. No, no, no problem at all. But we just really appreciate you taking time. I know you got a thousand other things that you could have could have been doing, but just to carve out a bit of time your day to chat with us and, and really give us some great pieces of advice and, and words of reassurance. And I think tidbits that anyone listening, you know, that are just at the beginning of their journey or halfway through, you know, the real tangible stuff that people can use. So thank you for taking the time. Well, thanks for the invite. Thanks for letting me share a story. And thanks for what you're doing locally and letting us kind of, all these entrepreneurs kind of tell their, their local stories. I think that goes a long way and it's really appreciated. Dustin, send us home. Well, last question, Nick. If anyone's listening and they're not already convinced, what's the best way or, or give me your quick pitch on why you? All right, perfect. So if you're a small business, whether you're online, in person, you could be a, a dentist, an auto mechanic, online retailer, it doesn't matter, anything in between, and you're looking for a great affordable way to accept payments, go to Helson.com. You can sign up right there. It takes five minutes. It's all instant, no paperwork. It works great. And we have an amazing local customer service team. So you're not calling across the world. We call them Helsum Gurus. They're super friendly and they're always happy to help. Amazing. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining today. We appreciate it to all the listeners out there. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting local and hearing the stories of other local Canadian made companies. We've got a pretty sweet upcoming guest roster as we've already seen today. So stay tuned for some more great guests. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in to Proudly Made in Canada by Local Laundry. We are your co-hosts and co-owners, Connor Curran and Dustin Paisley. You can find us anywhere, anytime at www.locallaundry.ca for all of our Canadian-made garments. You can find out what we're up to in the community at Local Laundry and all social channels. Sign up for our newsletter, sign up for our e-blast, and you can find all previous episodes of the podcast wherever you stream your podcast from. Until next time. Yeah.